Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and today I brought on the show a person who has a varied background in publishing as a publisher, as an author, as a newsstand magazine publisher, an attorney, uh, a person who's deeply interested in helping other people. I met Lyle Benjamin originally at an Author 101 University conference. And we got to know each other a little bit as we were both attending this conference. And I have since seen Lyle as he's been part of a coaching group that I'm also involved with. Welcome to the show, Lyle. Well, thank you, Pat. Thank you very much for having me. And I appreciate your time today. I know as we were talking right before I turned on the recording that you've got a varied background. Tell our listener about how you first recognize that you wanted to be involved in writing books. Okay, well, that started, I uh, guess, a little bit earlier when I was in high school, after being a not-so-good student for a fairly long time for a variety of reasons, um, not, to, not the least of which was dyslexia, which no one knew about until I was in my late 20s. Um, I got into uh, a gifted program where we specialized in literary criticism, and I found that I was pretty good at analysis and writing, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So when I went on to college, I majored in, in that area as well as creative writing. And I really enjoyed telling a variety of stories in different voices. Um, but I also knew that I wanted to help people because when I was younger, people helped me a lot and I knew I couldn't repay them. So I decided to become an attorney, go to law school. And uh, I got to law school and found out, wow, it wasn't about helping people, especially after I did my internship with the attorney general's office in public health and uh, got offered a job. So just as a little correction, I am not an attorney. Uh, <laughs> uh, even though I went to law school, um, thankfully, uh, right, I went on a different path to help people. And a lot of that centers around what I do in my writing. You may know that I spent 28 years helping attorneys with medical malpractice and personal injury cases. And I have learned in working with attorneys that law school was a great way to learn a specific way of thinking and analyzing information. I also learned that going to law school did nothing to prepare attorneys to set, for setting up practice and getting cases and learning how to market and manage people, part social work, part analytical thinking, part writing. I would think that your interest in creative writing led you to these different pathways. And I was intrigued by what you said a little bit ago about developing the skill of taking writing and sharing content in different voices. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because that intrigues me. Sure. Pat, the thing is that 
you know, uh, for me, my writing path is actually a little bit different than, than most writers um, in terms of they tend, just like attorneys, they tend to specialize. And also the same with nonprofits that tend to, that always specialize in, in what their mission is and their message is. So for me, it seems that because I have such a variety of interests, um, I was able to go ahead and write in different styles for different genres. So um, I can do very technical business type writing, which requires a certain degree of analysis and then clarity. Um, I can do very uh, picturesque writing, like the, one of the first um, novels I wrote was called The Transformation, and it was about a psychological vampire. In, and so it, it followed some of the confines of, you know, that lore as a gothic novel, actually, because that's what my high honors paper was in college, right? The romantic lover in romanticism. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, I wrote this book. Um, and then with my magazine, uh, it was all on um, relationship counseling through um, psychological writing, but using also scenarios, but also still having to go ahead and, and keep it, uh, you know, in the professional realm of, you know, standard practices and psychology. So different things for different, you know, situations that I've been in uh, during the course of my, uh, during the course of my life, which leads up to, you know, some of the things I'm working on now. Let me go back to something you said that you intrigued, that intrigued me. A psychological vampire. Now that's a term I've never heard. I think of the Dracula vampire who's going after your jugular. And if you're watching this podcast on our YouTube channel, Pat Iyer, you will see me grabbing my neck, but I'll describe it for the people who are listening to the podcast. Is a psychological vampire um, a sociopath or a psychopath? In essence, yes. What, what happens is they choose their victim, just like the vampire does, and they destroy everything in that person's life that has value to that person, but they don't kill the person themselves. And what happens is they basically, by killing everyone else that's in their life, they turn that person into a hollow shell of what they used to be really creating another vampire in essence, someone who's alive but still undead. And that's what the story focuses on. Is this a term that you came up with or is this part of the Gothic world terminology? No, it's a term I came up with to describe the, um, you know, the, uh, um, let's say the, um, the villain in the story. <laughs> Interesting. But it goes, it, it also obviously can translate into, right, uh, modern, you know, uh, living, your relationships, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, relationships that are uh, basically um, more than unhealthy. <clears throat> They're psychologically damaging to 
you know, uh, one of the one of the people. Um, and we have that going on all the time. So this psychological vampire actually exists, you know, in society. It's just that we haven't termed it yet. And it might not go to the extreme as what happens in the book that I wrote. There was a point in my life when I read stories about mass murderers. I was very interested in psychology when I was in high school, and it was a choice between nursing school and getting a degree in psychology. I went for the more practical route of becoming a nurse, and also I had a full scholarship to a nursing program, which helped enormously in that decision. <laughs> but I have always found the interesting the the way that people who are raised seemingly in a normal environment become sociopaths and some of them become murderers but um, the majority of them are amongst us functioning in various roles in their life to various degrees of abnormality so putting the psychological vampire aside let's let's go back to your first book was your first book the novel that we were just talking about, or was your first book tackling something else? Uh, wow, I've got to recall all the years ago. Um, it might have been, yes, the transformation, um, and then, you know, the areas it seems like I gravitate towards um, in my writing are ones that might have to do with um, even, you know, larger social implications. I wrote a book um, called Not So Delicate Balance, and that's when I moved to New York because um, I'd gotten a literary agent after my magazine. Um, and it was accepted by Ballantine uh, Books for publication. It went through all the levels, but I missed the number of, the required number of pages for doing a hardback edition, which is how they were going to release it. And unfortunately, they asked me to do a, um, a subplot, and I didn't go ahead and do it. Um, when I was younger, <laughs> I wasn't that bright. <laughs> so I, I passed up a few opportunities for doing like movies based upon a script I wrote and, and you know, that book and some other things and went into business and set instead. And I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, A Not So Delicate Balance was based on Star Trek The Next Generation. And it was a sociological story, which... Um, Obviously, it was good enough for, for publication, um, but it dealt with uh, basically the issue of uh, enslavement um, of a second class on a planet and how that was being handled. And sometimes you have to uh, make hard choices in, in, you know, because you don't have all the facts on the ground, so to speak. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. And I think that what I'm moving towards is that one day I'll just go ahead and just put out all these books at one time, um, you know, now that we have eBooks and everything else and self-publishing and make them available because um, from the people who have read them, they think that they're, they're pretty decent. So that's. You are fascinating, Lionel. You have a combination of writing about science fiction gothic thrillers. You've been a magazine publisher 
tell us about the magazine publishing piece, how that fit into your life. And I'm sure there are other genres of books that we haven't talked about. Yes. So let's focus on the magazine. You mentioned a newsstand magazine publisher. Mm -hmm. What was that topic and how did you get into magazine publishing? Sure. Uh, let's see. When I was in my senior year of high school, um, I was asked to go ahead and join the journalism department, uh, a journalism club at the school. Went to a rather large high school. I grew up in Florida and I got involved in doing um, some magazine design and went to district and a competition and then won first place in magazine layout and design. But the I had no background in it, no background in art, no background in magazine layout. I just found out that I had a pretty visual eye. And that kind of sparked my interest in it. And when I went to college, I went to University of Florida for undergraduate as well as law school. And the university didn't have a magazine uh, at the time. They had, an, they had a newspaper, but nothing for their creative writers. Um, other than that. So I formed with a couple of my friends, three of my friends actually, um, a magazine which is called The Prosery, which combined prose and poetry together in the publication. So we, we in essence, started the University of Florida's literary magazine. And then when I was in, um, in undergraduate and law school, I supported myself by doing you know, editing and writing and, you know, resume, um, whatever for, for students and graduates. And then I formed a company and it was a design and then later a printing company and marketing company that, um, you know, did work for the, in the community, just like a normal printer would. So I used my, in essence, background in, in uh, design we, you know, which even though I had no training, I'm, I'm, I was con considered pretty decent at, as well as my writing ability and my business ability in order to run this company. And I created a prototype for a magazine called Relationships Today. And it was um, designed to be the first national newsstand exclusively devoted to helping people with all types of relationships intimate family, friendship, and work. And it was psychologically based using experts in the field as well as journalists who were experts um, from around the country in order to provide people with the tools that they needed in order to handle the complexities inherent in these types of situations and relationships. So I moved to New York and I pitched it to Time Warner and Cable News. They both offered me contracts. And six months later, I had a national newsstand magazine out. And I was working about 110 hours a week on content. Oh, easily. Uh-huh. And it was very, very well received by the psychological community, which was kind of a shock to me because I was a lay person doing this. Um, and a lot of times people want to protect their own territories, but um, I got a lot of tremendously positive feedback on it. And then the readership liked it as well, but it's very expensive to do magazines. Um, there was a person who, uh, at the same time, who started her magazine and put in $25 million into her publication. And we were actually on the newsstand longer than she was. 
Hmm. Um, <laughs> and if I would have had one tenth of that money, right, I'd still be in business with it today. Yes. But you know, that's just that's just you know part of life. So. Um, I had a relative, by the way, who worked for Time Warner. He's a computer genius, and he helped them figure out how to balance the number of magazines to put on newsstands. Yours might even even have been one of them, depending upon the era in which your magazine was being published, because there was a lot of waste. There was there were until he came along, there was no way to get feedback back to Tom Warner in terms of how many magazines were selling at particular locations. And he was able with his software program to help the company balance it so they didn't end up with a lot of returns of things that weren't selling. Right. Right. And that's, that's important to put the proper allocation where they're needed. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so your magazine, how long was it in existence? Oh, let's see. Pardon me. That's, that goes into my dyslexia with time and geography. Um, probably, I mean, I was probably working on it for a year and a half total. Hmm. Wow, what an enormous investment of time and energy. How did that activity then build on other things that you did with your life? Because you had to learn a whole new world in order to be able to put together a magazine and put in those 110 plus hours a week. Yeah. So actually, it was chronological time a year and a half. If you go ahead and <laughs> and then add up actual time, right? You know, right. more like a decade. Normal- what normally people work on, yeah. Um, the thing is that I use all the things that I learned in my past mm-hmm. to build on what I'm doing in the future. And I dig out things in order to go ahead and help me do what I'm doing even today. And what I do is I don't go ahead and use a single approach to what I'm doing. I use what I call a spider web approach to how I work on work on things, which is not the way that you're supposed to do it. Um, and that is that I build oftentimes a lot of systems that can work independently, but have tremendous connections to each other so that when we do go ahead and let's say, finally get the exposure that we need with one area, there's these, all these other interconnected systems that form the foundation that will be pulled along with it at the same time. And we won't have to go into all these years of development in order to go ahead and have the impact that we want. Hmm, I like that image. That makes sense to me. Well, thank you. And you'll see where I'm at today, which is actually right at the cusp of launching Oh, you know, these things, unfortunately, a little delay with COVID-19, um, you're going to see how this is put into effect, uh, which hopefully will have the desired result and why I'm doing it this way as well. And whatever You've at some point transitioned from psychological vampires. I can't stop that phrase from ringing in my <laughs> head to publishing and then to business books. Bring us along about once you left the publishing world and you were focused on magazines to 
how you transitioned in your writing career after that point. Well, actually, uh, it was the, the magazine period and then the book period after that, when I moved, um, I'd gotten a literary agent um, who's actually pretty, pretty well known in the, in the industry. And he, ha he helped me get, um, this was after I had gone back to Florida and sort of recuperated um, from mm -hmm. doing the magazine. I was offered, um, I did a presentation with Bank of New York just on the business side, uh, right before um, I was gonna shut down the publication. And then um, I went back to Florida and I found out that they had offered me a half a million dollars to come back up to New York to, to, you know, to get the publication going again. And I said, <laughs> I said, give me the half a million, then I'll come back to New York. And they said, come back to New York and we'll give you the half a million. And I said, okay, I'm taking a break. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I then recuperated a little bit uh, and um, I did some outreach and, and got this agent and he helped me get an apartment in New York and I moved up again and um, you know, we started to work together and I put, even though I'm dyslexic, I play Scrabble. And there was a time during this period where I uh, played competitive Scrabble and did fairly well. And one of my mentors, when I was writing the transformation, this was out in New Mexico, um, where I stayed for a year, was um, a psychologist and he was one of the top uh, dozen players in the world. And we used to talk and play, and it took me quite a while to beat him. Um, but I played in that club, I played in Florida, and then I played in New York City. And through playing Scrabble, I met someone, got into a relationship, and she was um, with her mother in a women's writing guild that they owned. And they asked me to redo their publication. So I redid their magazine. And then they had a business that was failing. They were going to shut that down. They asked me to help turn around their business. And I did that. And then um, my, uh, my girlfriend at the time asked me to start my own business because her mother wanted to go ahead and just continue with the way they had done it previously build on the success that I had given them. So I said, well, go stay with your mom, you know, do that and I'll go back to writing. And unfortunately she convinced me to go into business based on what I was doing with her and, you know, her company and branch off from that and go into publications and go into special events. And when I told my literary agent that I was doing this, um, he was rather upset. <laughs> and he said, you have to be the, like the stupidest person in the world. You have a chance to be a great writer and you're going into business. Anybody can do business, right? Don't ever talk to me again. <laughs> hmm. uh, so that's why I'm not telling you who he is until we're okay. off air. We <laughs> until respect we're off that. Air. Because you might actually know the person if you were at Writers, uh, Authors 101. Um, so... Uh, from, from there, um, you know, I went into 
business, but I stayed in the publication realm as well. And I had a meeting and event planning company and I put out a book called uh, Locations, Etc. And it was a reference book that helped people find venues for over 50 different types of events. And it was set up by categories where I had written descriptions of these venues so that people who got the book could find things that they were interested in for their meeting, their conference, their dinner, their anniversary, whatever it was. And then they would call my organization based on the numbers that are in the book. And then we would go ahead and ask them questions and help them with whatever their needs were on a, on a modular basis. So the book actually was a marketing tool for my meeting and event planning company. And it was sold in Barnes and Noble and other places and we would give it out. And actually uh, New York Magazine bought a thousand copies of it once to give away at the grand opening, uh, reopening of Studio 54. And, uh -huh. and that certainly is an industry that's been profoundly affected by the quarantine. So it was good that you didn't hang your hat on that industry. We have had another guest on the show who will be coming up. I haven't released his show yet, who is in the meetings and events industry, and they're certainly rethinking everything right now. Yes, absolutely. And actually, you know, um, I was in the business during, uh, you know, 9-11, mm -hmm. which also shut down the business. Oh, certainly and, did. Uh, yes. And then that's when I transitioned actually into my nonprofit uh, pretty much around that time. And what I did with uh, my nonprofit and, and is create um, a series of books. And that's what we're starting to launch, you know, that we would have done this summer, we'll do later in the fall and, and next year, is what I created was a hybrid um, publishing style that's never really been done before. You know, from the magazine industry, I learned that you've got to go ahead and capture people's attention in a very short time span. And you've got to use great graphics, great images, and you've got to put a lot of numbers out there in order to have an impact. From the reference book publishing that I did, I learned that people don't throw out reference books. Whereas mm -hmm. with magazines, right, they look at them once or twice, they sit them on their coffee table, and then three weeks later, they, they're gathering dust and they chuck them out. Well, reference books, right, my business was, um, we put out every few years this reference book, every two, three years, and we would ask people what edition they had when they called in. And we found that people were still calling in based on the first edition. That uh -huh. was 10 years old. Uh-huh. Okay. So when I created this hybrid style, it was, we're going to put out books that are really self-help books. They're called 16 Things We All Can Do to Act Right and Help Save the Planet. Each book features 16 problems that people face in either a specific area like mental health or an eclectic mix of things. and each problem starts off with a scenario that I write about that situation that kind of highlights it in pictorial terms. And then how we normally handle that situation, which is not a good thing. And then we invite two contributing experts 
that say why we need to solve this problem and what we need to do to solve that problem as well. And along with their testimonial, there's their color photo, there's their background, there's their social media. So the books are really expert reference books on how to solve these very large social issues that we all face. And then we don't just put out a few thousand copies. We're talking about putting out 100,000 copies of each edition. So that goes into the large magazine type numbers. Then each book is in four color, which is also a magazine style that's not done normally in traditional reference books. This sounds and like then, a substantial financial investment, Lyle. Right, yes. color printing and large volumes. Are right. you funding this or do you have a sponsor who's funding this? Well, I funded my nonprofit myself for the last 10 years. Uh -huh. And with these style books, they're gonna be funded by uh, sponsorship. Yes. Mm. So the, the, the next part of the process besides the right, the, you know, how the book is published, the scope of it is that we tie it into workshops. And these workshops are called, right, One Planet Social Responsibility Workshops, where people who have the book get together and they're, they're, they're self-organized. So we don't have to go ahead and have hundreds of people learning how to go ahead and do these workshops. The book, inside the book, it tells you how to go ahead and start your own work, workshop group. And what happens is you gather, you know, up to 10 people, you read out loud what the, problem, what the problem is, what the scenario is, how we handle it, and then what the experts say. And then you have a discussion group hmm. where you talk about the issues. And over these eight to 12 weeks where you cover these issues, what happens is you go ahead and build better relationships with the people in the group, hopefully lifelong relationships so that you have a support group moving forward. And because everything we do is based on this educational formula that I created, which is E plus A equals O. That's education plus action equals objective. When I went to law school, I took contracts, just what you were talking about before, where the education doesn't meet the practice. I never learned to write a contract till I was out of law school. That's not a good educational system. So what I did was every system that I build and every program I build is based on this formula. And actually that's the second part of the formula. The first part is you gotta start with your objective. Whether you're a writer, graphic designer, IT, whether you're doing business, marketing, management, you gotta know what your objectives are. Even nursing, doctors, whatever. If you don't know what your objective is, right? How the heck you're gonna help someone? Okay, so you start with your objective. Then what you have to do is, you have to make the connection with whoever you're doing outreach to. And you do that so that you can build the relationship. Once you build the relationship, no matter how quickly that happens, you then have the opportunity to do education plus action to achieve that original objective. So it really goes in a circle. You start with the objective plus the connection, right? To build the relationship, you educate, you take action to achieve the original objective. And th that's how I've designed 
everything that we do from our internship mentorship program, which is used with universities like NYU, Columbia, right? CUNY, SUNY schools all the way out to California, to Florida, to internationally, to, you know, all the other projects and programs that we have. So. I feel like I have wandered into your ecosystem, Lyle. <laughs> Dangerous place to go. <laughs> 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 I, I see the big vision and, and I appreciate the thought and the analysis that's gone into this because you've, you have such a fascinating background. And I, I will summarize for the, the person who's listening to this podcast, this is what I take away from our discussion, is you've taken your experiences and you keep building on them. You pull in different skills, different experiences. You have been involved in gothic novels, in science fiction, in magazines that have been on the newsstands, in psychological concepts. The psychological vampire is connected to the psychology of relationships in some way in your experiences. And then you've moved into that passion of wanting to help people by looking at what's appealing to them. You know, we talk a lot about people's short attention spans and you've taken that concept of the shortest attention span and how you grab a person in a magazine and brought it into a more traditional book format which has then led to a whole series of unique publications tied in with workshops that will be coming from you in the future and is already in the works and will be released in the year 2020. Yes. Yes. And, you know, because of what's going on with COVID, um, like everyone else, I've had to reflect on what, you know, this virus has done to, you know, our quality of life and how much it's affected more than anything else, uh, literally everyone on the planet in some degree or another. And, you know, this is coming down from, you know, 7.7 .7 billion people, you know, uh, who have been affected. And, uh, you know, there's a press release that I just wrote about this, this new publishing program that I'll, I'll talk about if I have a little bit of the time, Pat. Um, down to the people who are affected most, which is the smallest subset, those who have lost family members due to COVID-19 no one has been affected more than these people because when you lose someone to uh, sudden illness or accident and you don't really have the time to prepare uh, it, it is really damaging uh, um, on on so many different levels and i actually went through that personally myself where i lost uh, my father my stepmother and my little sister in a private plane crash Mm. Um, and you know, you, you really don't think that your, that your life is ever going to be the same after something like this happens. And indeed, you know, you might heal, um, and hopefully you do, but you still have, um, you know, the pain, uh, of, of what you went through. Um, from this loss. So what I did was I created a, um, 
a new publication series called Legacy Lifelines. And we're starting with a book, uh, which is a memorial book, which can take a family member and guide them through the different steps that they um, would examine in that lost, uh, in that loved one's life who they lost. And then they get to go ahead and not only answer questions about things that brought that person joy at these different stages, but also share stories that they learned about that person. In other words, um, it's a combination of, of facts, stories, and even that person's thoughts about different things uh, about life. And so there's the Legacy Lifelines Memorial book, and then there's actually, uh, you know, you can do that on your own or you can do it through a workbook. And then if you submit it to the organization, you can then go ahead and add in photos and everything else. And we'll produce either a hardbound or softbound book that will provide a keepsake for you or, you know, however, however many family members you want involved in that. Um, that can really go ahead and bring joy and happiness to your family and generations and help you heal by not only going through that process, which is like journal writing, the cathartic process of going through this, okay? But then also you can take it out at special events and go through different areas and connect with other people around you. And it builds a deeper bond with you and the person who passed, okay? Because you'll be able to recognize things in their life that you didn't realize or had forgotten about or when you collaborate with other family members that you didn't even know that you see in yourself or if you have children sometimes you see in your children mm -hmm. okay and it's really a beautiful way to help people heal you know again on that psychological level without them even sometimes realizing what's going on Okay, because sometimes we just need to do the behavior and then, right, you know, the thought and, and everything else sort of like and the emotions follow. So that's the, um, you know, the, the benefits of the book. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be donating a free copy of Legacy Lifelines Memorial Special Edition to every single family in the world who has lost someone to COVID-19. And unfortunately, those numbers keep climbing. But right now, it's almost at 300,000 people. In the, in the U.S. alone, it's almost at 100,000. And that's something that, you know, we really can't um, uh, afford to go through for our quality of life because of the damage that it inflicts. Uh, it's not just economic damage. It's psychological damage. Um, you know, on ourselves and our, on our families. And we shouldn't, you know, so we have to go ahead and see how we can do more on the preventative side, you know, as opposed to just the treatment side. Yes, and I know there, there are so many nuances to this, Lyle, and, and I so appreciate what you're doing. How can our listeners find out more about you, about your efforts. Can you give us a link 
or some additional information that our listener can use to be able to maintain that contact with you after this podcast is over. Absolutely. And we would love for that to happen. And it doesn't matter, you know, what your background is, where you are in the world, what your nationality, race, age, gender, right? Education, level of income is. Everybody is welcome in our organization. Everyone can be that hero who can serve to inspire other people as well. And that's what we do uh, with our volunteer program. Okay. Um, we find out what your interests are and then what your background is. And then you use that in order to help others. So uh, my nonprofit organization is called Planned, Planned Acts of Kindness.org. And for those of you who don't like to type, you can just put in PlannedActs.org and that will take you uh, to uh, a wealth of information. Um, our combined programs actually uh, align with all 17 of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, um, which is really a kind of a, a, a cool thing. Uh, and you'll be able to see that on the website. You'll also be able to find a link to LegacyLineClubs.com. Uh, about the COVID-19, about the memorial book. So you'll be able to click on that, go to that website and see. And we're looking for people who want to go ahead and bring this to uh, not only their community or their friends or families, uh, you know, who have lost people, but also working from the top down. So if you're part of a school, you're part of a religious organization, you have a non, you know, someone in a nonprofit or a non-governmental organization, a government agency, or even a business at, you know, mom and pop level all the way up to Fortune 500, okay? Let us know what your connections are, and we'll be able to go ahead and help you get the information out to people who actually can benefit from this. And also, you'll be able to learn about Planned Acts of Kindness and what we're doing with, um, you know, the Karma Club and how we're working to change the world. Uh, to prevent things like climate change, pollution, overpopulation, and pandemics from affecting quality of life for billions, not 10 to 15 years from now, they're talking about the tipping points. What we're seeing is the tipping points are now. So I invite you to go ahead and explore and get in touch with us directly. Be more than happy to go ahead and talk to you. Thank you, Lyle. This has been Pat Iyer and Lyle Benjamin covering a whole range of topics today. Be sure to go to PlannedActs, that's P-L-A-N-N-E-D-A-C-T-S dot org for more information about Lyle. And Lyle, thank you so much for spending your time with me today and sharing your twisted spider web approach to your world. Well, thank you very much, Pat, for having me. It's been a tremendous pleasure and great seeing you again and talking. And let's continue to do so in the future as well. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you did. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. 
coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.